following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. I'd like to read to you today's epistle reading from the book of Romans, and it's Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, Much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reading from Exodus chapter 7, 1 through 7. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why do you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with the people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? If you haven't been with us the past couple of weeks, uh, we are in the season of Lent. This is the third Sunday in Lent. Um, And we're uh, looking at these scripture passages, having them read aloud in the service each week. Um, There's four of them that are assigned by the Revised Common Lectionary. And um, just an encouragement to those of you who want to study the Bible on your own but don't know where to start, during Lent when we're using the lectionary, it's a great time to um, use that as a resource because it gives you the texts that we'll be looking at on a Sunday and you can be reading them during the week and how wonderful it is to be uh, exposed to that uh, biblical witness before you get here on a Sunday. So I'd encourage you to do that. You can find the lectionary using Google very easily. You can also go to our website 
And on the series page, if you click the image that looks like that screen behind me, um, each sermon has a link that will open up um, all the texts. So before we get into uh, today's sermon, which uh, weaves in uh, several of these ideas that we've read, uh, I just want to let you know of a ministry opportunity that we have, and that is for people to be greeters. Now, when you come in to church on a Sunday morning, you are met by somebody with a smiling face who hands you a bulletin and maybe asks you how you're doing, or if, you don't, if they don't know you, sometimes they might ask your name. Um, they're also really good if, at discerning if you're the type of person who does not want to talk first thing in the morning, and they'll just smile at you and let you go on your way. If you think that you might have the, the skills required to do those things, we actually are looking for some folks who, who could help out with that. And uh, it's not a job for everybody, but those who are good at it really do make a difference. Um, have you ever noticed that when you come in, that the, the greeter really just kind of gets your day started in the right way? And um, you can be part of that. So uh, Dell is at the back of the room right now. Dell is uh, one of the people who helps oversee that. She's actually going to be uh, at a table in between the services. So right after this one's over, you can talk to her and learn some more about that. Um, but we encourage you to uh, reach out and explore this idea. There's no commitment. It's not like you're signing up for a year of doing this every week or something. Um, you can try it out for a little while. If it doesn't work, you just, just let Dell know, and she'll be very gracious about that because that's the way she is. I would be mean if it were me, but it's not me. So, <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Um, so that's an opportunity that we have. I encourage you to, uh, to look into that. So <clears throat> that passage that Dowling just read from Exodus 17 uh, involves a time when the Israelites were complaining against Moses and therefore against God. And uh, I grew up in the church, and many of you grew up in the church as well. And tell me if this is kind of the, uh, the prevailing opinion about the Israelites, is that they're whiny, mopey complainers. Anybody have that? That's, that? Okay, right? I'm going to try to defend them a little bit this morning, and um, we'll see if I, if I do a good job. If at the end of the sermon you still think that they're whiny, mopey complainers, that's fine. Um, but I want to step in a little bit and maybe try to get to the root of why they're upset. So, uh, some of you are not super biblically literate, and that's fine. We don't need you all to be, but some of you are, so maybe you can help me out if you know this. Um, the people are in the wilderness, but what has just happened? What's the last significant event in the life of the Israelites? That's right. They had been rescued from slavery in Egypt. Do you remember this story from the Disney movie? <laughs> or if maybe you read it in the Bible one day. <laughs> They had, uh, this, was, this was a major triumph for God's people. It was cause for celebration. Moses spontaneously wrote a song about it. Right? When, you're, when your leader breaks into spontaneous song, that's a sign that something really great has just happened. But before that, what had happened to the people was slavery. And not just like for a few weeks. For generations, they had been enslaved in Egypt. 
Imagine being born into a place where you and all of your people are slaves. And as you grow older, your parents tell you the story of how you got there. God gave us this great promise. And through a course of events, we ended up here in Egypt in slavery. And those course of events, they're interesting, but I'm going to skip over them now. But believe in the promise, son. Believe in the promise, my daughter, because one day God will deliver us. And you're told that as you're going through childhood. You hear the stories over and over again around the dinner table at bedtime when you wake up. God made a promise. It looks like it's not coming true, but believe me, it's going to come true. And then the parent who's telling the story gets old and there's grandkids and they keep telling the story and guess what? They die there in Egypt. And you grow older and you have children and you tell them the story. God made a promise, son. God made a promise, my daughter. He's going to keep it. Just hold to the faith. And you get older and you have grandchildren and you tell them the promise and then guess what? You die in slavery too. Rinse and repeat. And with each passing generation, the story gets longer because there's more things that happen and more people who it's happened to. Until finally, after hundreds of years, God raises up Moses to deliver the people. To make good on the promise that has been repeated from father to son and mother to daughter on and on and on for generation after generation. And the people come flying out of Egypt with Pharaoh and his soldiers hot on their heels. And they miraculously pass through the Red Sea. Moses puts the staff down in the waters part and they go through. And then the Pharaoh and the soldiers hot on their heels come behind them and the waters crash in on them. And the people are saved. And Moses writes a song. And the people celebrate. And they set out from the shores of the Red Sea to go and take hold of the promise that God at last is making good on. And what did they find but that there's no water to drink? Oh, and that's not the, that's not the passage we just read. The passage we just read is the second time there's no water to drink. The first time there's no water to drink is three days after they leave the Red Sea. They made it three days before it looked like the promise was evaporating again. After hundreds of years of waiting. They find some water and it's so bitter that they name it Bitterness Pond (laughs) or something like that. And they complain against Moses, and Moses cries out to Yahweh, and and God tells him, okay, go get a branch and throw it in the water, and he throws it in the water, and then the water is clear and clean, and they can drink it. And then they get hungry, (laughs) and God provides food for them. And then they're wandering a little bit more, and then suddenly there's no water again. So, the people had waited forever in Egypt. They'd experienced... Um, an undeniably miraculous deliverance. And then within a period of a week or two, it seemed like 
it was all going to go away again. So maybe we could cut them a little bit of slack. Maybe, maybe what they're doing is ask, asking the great question of the universe. Did you hear the question that they asked? Is God among us or not? Is the Lord, Yahweh, is God among us or not? And haven't we all asked that question in our own way at one time or another? You may have asked it this way, is God real or not? I call that the real talk version of this verse. Is God real or not? You see, even those of us who have had radical salvation experiences, who were every bit as doomed as the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt, those of us, some of us maybe experienced actual miracles along the way. No matter what our experience of salvation was, eventually we come to the wilderness. Sometimes it takes three days. Sometimes it takes three years. Sometimes it takes three decades. But the wilderness is always there. I don't want you to ever forget what I'm about to say to you right now. There's always a wilderness between salvation and paradise. I think a lot of us came into faith thinking that it was um, an instantaneous ticket to heaven or to good things or to happiness. What we wanted was to go straight from slavery in Egypt to the promised land. But there's always a wilderness between salvation and paradise. And one of the great disservices that the church has done its people over the years is, is not telling them that. Because what happens if you don't expect that wilderness to appear? If you think that you are entitled to be uh, beamed over to the promised land Star Trek style? Is that when you find out that there's a wilderness in between and that you're going to get thirsty and hungry and there's going to be snakes and enemies and some people are going to die, then what you are tempted to think is that the whole thing is a fairy tale, that the promise wasn't real. But that's not the story of God's people and it never has been. There's always wilderness between salvation and paradise. But here's the good news. You don't have to die there. Asking questions in the wilderness times, even, even asking that big question, is God real or not? That's normal. There's another thing that we don't tell people in the church enough. That these questions are normal. I don't know how you can read scripture and think that it's not okay to question God because it's like on almost every page. 
God's people question God all the time. And I can't tell you how many times I've had someone come into my office or meet me for coffee or email me or send me a message on Facebook and say to me, sometimes I don't believe in God anymore. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure I can do this. And what I hear behind that confession, I don't usually say it, but what I hear behind it is, and therefore, I'm lost. Forever. (laughs) And there's a profound pain in doubt. I know that because I've experienced it myself. I've said that exact same thing before. As a matter of fact, in 2009, I preached a sermon entitled, Sometimes I Don't Believe. And if that's where you are today, I want you to take heart. I want you to know that you're not alone. You're not alone in this room because there are others just like you experiencing the same thing. I can't tell you who, who, who it is. That would be a breach of trust. But I can tell you that it's true. And you're not alone in the grand story of God's people either. Even if you were the only doubter in the room, you wouldn't be the only doubter to ever follow God. They're right here in front of us in Exodus 17. Is the Lord among us or not? And these are people who just a week ago saw an ocean come apart. <laughs> right? It's part of the normal experience with God to have doubts. And this is not a place where you have to pretend that doubt doesn't exist. See, I believe in doubt. <laughs> I believe it exists. I just don't trust it. I don't trust in it. Who I trust is Jesus. You knew we were going to get to Jesus, right? <laughs> this guy goes on and on about Jesus. <laughs> Listen, I know that's like, <laughs> that joke should apply to all pastors. <laughs> but when I th- went through the, the, the throes of my doubt, that was all there was. I wanted to let go of him, but he was apparently not willing to let go of me. So, uh, pardon me if I talk about him a lot. (laughs) The gospel reading for today, uh, which we didn't get to, and it's rather long. We're not going to read it right now, but I do encourage you to read it on your own. It's a wonderful passage from John chapter 4. Some of you may have read it in your greenhouse small group this week. Uh, it's, a, it's another story involving thirst. Remember this story, some of you, if you, even if you didn't read it this week, you know it. Some of you, Jesus was sitting by a well in the middle of the day, and a woman from Samaria, uh, an outcast from the Jewish faith, comes by and he asks her for a drink. And she's very puzzled by this request because she knows and she knows he knows that the Jews have a rule that they're not going to share any dishes with 
Samaritans. They're not going to touch anything that the Samaritans have touched because it's made it unclean. And so when he asks her for a drink, she's confused and she says, don't you know the rule? Why are you asking me for a drink? And his answer is to say this. If you knew who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living, living water. Does this, does this sound familiar to anybody? He says, if you would have known who it is, and the Israelites say, is the Lord among us or not? And Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, the Lord is among you, you just don't know it. Jesus is saying that the, the woman's finding herself in essentially the same situation that, that the Israelites were in. God was there, after all, in the wilderness. The Israelites just weren't able to see it in that moment. And here's this woman, and God is right there with her, and she doesn't, doesn't know it. Sometimes that happens to us too, doesn't it? God is right there with us, and we just cannot see God. You may, you may be wandering in your own wilderness and you legitimately don't know if God is real or not or if God's anywhere near you or if God cares or is strong enough to do anything about it. But I want to tell you, if you're seeing Jesus, you're seeing God. Your wilderness might leave you very thirsty. I know that some of you are in the middle of that right now. And all you can feel is your spiritual thirst. By the way, doubt may not seem like a spiritual thirst because it might seem like the opposite of having any spiritual desire. But I can tell you it's a, it's a form of spiritual thirst. You might be dying of thirst. You might be in total despair. Or you might just be simply confused about the great questions of life. And by the way, if if you read that gospel story, you know that the Samaritan woman stayed confused pretty much the whole time. She had this weird conversation with him. He he sort of told her parts of her past that she didn't tell him and she didn't know how he knew. And she went and told all her friends. She didn't even know. She's like, come see this guy. He told me everything I ever did. Is he the Messiah? She didn't know. She was confused. She remained confused. She was confused when she walked up to that well. She was probably more confused when she left, but what she did is go tell her friends. (laughs) That would be an indication to us. (laughs) The absence of confusion is not the result of faith, right? Faith is not the absence of confusion. If that's what you're hoping for, you're not going to get it. What you get is living water, which is what Jesus told the woman he could give her. To quench the the thirst of your soul. And the great gift of God is that this water, this water saves you, whether you are a spiritual giant or whether you're a spiritual infant. You could even be a spiritual insect. In fact, you were probably better off There's no probably about it. You are better off if you are a spiritual child or a spiritual insect. A little tiny, 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 tiny bit of faith and understanding 
than if you are spiritual giants, the spiritual giants who have their heads um, in the clouds. What did the gospel reading tell us, or excuse me, the epistle reading told us? While we were still sinners, while we were still weak, it says in one sentence, Christ died for us, the ungodly. I don't know a better way to describe a person going through doubt, at least the way they feel, than weak and ungodly. That sure is how I felt. That's the state that you are in when Christ dies for you. You don't have to get it all sorted out first. That's putting the cart before the horse. And so what I want to do is um, a little bit of a meditative exercise. So it might be helpful for you to, to close your eyes or however you are comfortable. Um, I want to ask you to do a little thought experiment, a little imaginative sort of thing. I want you to imagine yourself alone in a desert, and you're thirsty. Uh, You have a canteen, but there's no water left in it. There's no water in sight. And as you're walking in this desert, you, you come to a well, and you think that you're saved, except that the well is empty. Uh, And then, Jesus is there with you. Jesus has a way of appearing. And so Jesus appears, and he draws the bucket up from the well, and there's water in it after all. And Jesus wants to offer you this water for the thirst that you have been experiencing, whatever your desert might have been. Do you take the cup of water from Jesus. There might be lots of reasons why you don't want to. But I want you to imagine that you are going to take that cup and that you drink of it. You lift the cup to your lips and you can feel the cool wetness of that water. This is the cup of your salvation. And Jesus does want to offer it to you. So drink. I want to close with a word for those of you who are experiencing suffering right now. Some of you are experiencing suffering because of a great tragedy or crisis in your life. But I know that some of you are experiencing the particular type of suffering that comes with doubt. Doubt is is, uh, very painful. That text from Romans is this very interesting... promise in it. The statement is that we should boast in our sufferings. And if you're suffering, you know that the natural response to suffering is not to boast about it. But what Paul says is that 
suffering is something we should boast in because suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. Hope does not disappoint. Now one way you could interpret that is to say that the only way to get to hope is through suffering. I don't actually think that's true. I don't think that all hope comes from suffering but I do think that suffering is one way to get to hope. Suffering can lead you to despair, but the promise of Scripture is that suffering can lead you to hope as well. So I'm going to ask you if you're suffering and you're thinking of letting go to take one more step today with Jesus. Because that one more step is part of what it means to practice endurance, to build up endurance. And it does build character, and character does lead to hope. I cannot promise you it will be done by the time you get home today. But I can promise you it's there. (coughs) Suffering, in some ways, helps us see what is already there. It helps us see that the Lord is among us and always has been, even when it hasn't been obvious or evident. And eventually, our boast... um, is yes in our sufferings, but actually the boast is in Christ himself. That's what Paul says too. And so if you want to take one more step with Jesus today, as I've encouraged you to do, uh, the table of the Lord is the, is the place to do that. And uh, as the band comes and we sing another song or two together, I invite you to come and receive this meal which Jesus has laid out for us. And the meal is spiritual food. It's food for our souls. It's, it's actually the body and blood of Christ. Jesus is really present here in these elements. And uh, all who are seeking to follow him and be strengthened by walking with him are invited to this table. This is not something that's only for members of Artisan Church or members of any particular church. If you want Jesus in your life, come get him. Take a piece of the bread. Remember that Christ's body was broken for you. Dip it in the wine or the juice, remembering the blood which was shed for the forgiveness of sins. May it be for you the body and blood of the Savior. May it be for you nourishment on your journey of faith in the wilderness. And may it be an act of unity, communion, with all those who journey this road with you. Our table is open. I invite you to come. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.